Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode, and of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Teresa. And I'm Juliet. Happy Halloween to everyone. Happy Halloween! This is a special, very special bonus episode. This is our very first Halloween episode. It is. Yeah, we hadn't actually started until, I mean, we hadn't, I don't think we had actually started recording even last Halloween. Yeah. I think we knew we were doing the podcast, but I don't think we started even recording until November. Dang. So this is our very first Halloween, so happy first Halloween to Aww. us. We're <laughs> and, both wearing pumpkin costumes right now. You can't see it. Yeah. I wish we could <laughs> show you, but just bask in the knowledge that yeah. we have our pumpkin outfits on. But happy Halloween to all of our listeners as well. This is our very special, exclusive bonus Halloween episode where we are going to cover a really awesome Halloween movie that actually deals with the topic of Halloween. Yes. Night of the Demons. Yay! I, I was really excited to cover this one, not only because it's topical, because, you know, Halloween and stuff, but also because the first time I ever saw this movie was actually at, like, a horror movie festival, like yeah. a mini horror movie festival that Juliet and her partner put on. That was um, the year we did Revenge of the 80s as our theme and we don't always theme it that's been a more recent thing we didn't theme it this year actually um for a while there we were doing themes just because it was kind of fun and um we were also for a while doing audience votes which was another thing we ended up not doing this year i don't know why i think maybe just because it had run its course we'd done it for like six years but night of the demons won the audience vote the year we did revenge of the 80s which Honestly, it was tough competition. I don't remember everything that was up for audience vote, but uh, I do recall a certain favorite of mine was up for audience vote and uh, did not win that year, but won another year. Trick or treat, of mm. course. Yeah, the 86 trick or treat? Yes. Okay, of course. The one true trick or treat in my heart. <laughs> not trick or treat, trick or treat. Yes, yes. In fact, our favorite concession person at the movie theater. The other night when we were there, I think, to see... It must have been when we were there to see Halloween Ends, which you weren't there for, unfortunately. Oh, sad face. Um, <laughs> he was saying that the theater was showing Trick or Treat. And I was like, ooh, which Trick or Treat? He, like, paused for a minute. He's like, Trick or Treat? And I'm like, oh, Michael Doherty. Okay, that's that's fine. Yeah. And no disrespect to Michael Doherty, but Sammy Kerr yeah. is the best. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, are we are we talking Sammy Kerr? Or yeah. <laughs> Are you saying favorite sarcastically about your the concession person? Um, semi-sarcastically? Semi-sarcastically. Are we, are we thinking about the same guy? We're thinking about the, the exact same concession person, yes. Okay. Um, he's a lovable character in the story of our movie-going lives. Yeah, he, he's really nice, and he's always really interested in yes. what we're seeing and, like, having a good conversation with us and, like, lots of compliments and stuff, so... And he does really well with buttered popcorn. He does. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just that one time he spoiled a movie for me. And <laughs> I was not happy about it. I think it was accidental. I think it was. I don't think it was on purpose. Yeah. It's fine. But he he has been like the one single person at the concession stand that has been there during the entire pandemic. Yeah. 
Like everybody yeah. else has rotated out. Mm-hmm. Except for the managers, of course. Like yeah. the managers yeah, are yeah, all yeah. the same. So during pandemic times, you know, they shut down the movie theaters for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then we have a Cinemark close yeah. to us. And Cinemark was like, hey, you can rent out the movie theater. And at the time, it was like affordable <laughs> to do yeah. so. Yeah, they made it very cheap because no one was doing anything. Right. So it was like 100 bucks, And then you could have as many people as you wanted come into the movie theater. And so we ended up seeing a ton of movies like that, mm-hmm. which was good and bad because it was good because we were still able to see movies and like you know keep up with what was coming out it was bad because now like the movie watching experience is pretty much spoiled <laughs> otherwise yeah, when you've had a private watch party with your friends and you've gotten used to that it's like oh other people mm, I yeah don't know about this now literally every time we go to the movie theater and there is anybody else it could be it could be somebody that i know is not going to talk you know but especially if I see, like, teenagers or people who are talking a lot during the previews, I'm immediately, like, my social anxiety level is ratcheted up. And I'm like, they're going to talk the whole movie. This is going to yeah. ruin the movie. Yeah. And most of the time it's okay. But I've had some really good movies ruined Yeah, for me like that. So. Oh, yeah. And also I just don't want anybody to sit next to me. That's the other nice thing mm-hmm. about those private watch parties is that nobody was sitting next to you. And now, like people can sit next to you again yeah i'm like please don't yeah like just no find literally anywhere else in the theater (laughs) it used to be that they would like put that buffer seat you know yeah and now they don't do the buffer seat anymore when you buy the tickets no so some rando can just sit next to you what would i do next to you yeah what would i do (laughs) i would just leave the movies that's (laughs) not true i can't handle this although i don't think it's happened to me yet Because normally I'm with my partner, so we're sitting in the two seats and that like our seats are kind of connected. It's a whole thing. So, so far it hasn't felt like I've had to sit with anybody else. Right. So there's that. Yeah. But still, I'm ruined. Movies are ruined for Mm -hmm. me. I'm never going to forget when I could just like relax and... We got very spoiled. Yes. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Thanks for the spoilage. (laughs) (laughs) It is the running joke that, uh, you know, he was personally keeping our Cinemark in business. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like there were times when I think our, like our screen was probably the only one Mm -hmm. on, especially on like Sunday mornings. (laughs) Yeah. Because nobody wants to go. I mean, very few people want to go to the movies on Sunday mornings unless you have like kids or... You Mm -hmm. want to avoid the crowds, but also, like, even less people are spending the money to rent them out. Yeah. Anyways, I digress. (laughs) I think at this point in time, we were still at the discount, like, five years ago when I first watched Night of the Demons, we were still doing it at the discount theater in the suburb that's kind of close to us. So it's gone around to many different homes. It's been going for over 25 years, but my partner and I have been involved, he longer than I have, for the more recent years, um, we kind of helped take it over and make sure it kept going and um we lost our home theater because it shut down and then it got reopened a few years later by a friend of ours and has been subsequently sold but they're still letting us hold the event there but in the in-between time we were at this discount multiplex which was a very interesting place to do a horror movie (laughs) marathon so that is where you saw night of the demons yeah the and this theater is actually well, it's no, it's not there anymore. Yeah, it's it, gone. It just got torn down like earlier this year or last year. 
but it is the very first movie theater that I ever went to. Oh, nice. Because I grew up in that suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, so the very first movie I ever saw in a theater anyways was at that discount place. And I think they were doing this thing where you could write a book report. And you oh, get to I see a movie. <laughs> you get to see a movie for free. So I wrote a book report, and I saw the Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. Nice. That was my very first movie there. Nice. And I think it was in that one big screen, like the one dead center, the the big one that you guys normally had for mm-hmm. for Horrorama. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where I saw it. Nice. That's but, awesome. And you know that like f- <laughs> there's so many things you could say about the place, but. They had great popcorn. They did have great popcorn, yes. <laughs> My former mother-in-law, she would just go there just, just to buy, to buy the, the popcorn. popcorn. But yeah. Anyways, discount movie theaters. They're yeah, the best. Yeah, Second run theaters, if you don't have one near you, I'm sorry. Because second run theaters They're have like their own little... Awesome. <laughs> they have like their own little like amazing ambiance. Yeah. It's not like walking into an AMC or like a, you know, even like a, a what's that called? The draft house. Alamo draft house. Yeah. It's not like Alamo draft house. Mm-hmm. It's like you go inside, floors are sticky, carpet has never been oh, cleaned. Yeah. It smells like stale popcorn, mm-hmm. but support your local second run yeah. cinemas if you because have them. If you, if you don't, they'll be sold and become a church. Like the first one where I saw a movie. That is one of the coolest architectural oh, I know mod movie theaters. And there were two of them in our area. And I believe they're both churches now. Lame. And it makes me sad every time I drive by. Anyways, support your second run movie yeah. theaters. Support your cinemas in general. Yeah. Second run, art house, first run. We need them. Yes, all of them. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> demons. <laughs> I think we just waxed poetic a about brief appreciation <laughs> of seeing movies in the theater and scene. That's the whole. Actually, that's the whole episode. Yeah, yeah. The bonus episode is just us talking about movie theaters. <laughs> All right. So if you've stuck with us through that, we watched Night of the Demons tonight. Which neither of us. This was not our first um, watch through of yeah. the movie, but we both love it for all of its energy and. <laughs> It's a product of the 80s. It's a movie that came out in 1988, and it is 100% a movie about 1988. And it's almost like an, a love letter to 80s film. Yeah, I would say so. 80s horror film. Yeah. It's got all the elements you want in an 80s horror film. You know, teenagers, you know, teenage adventures gone awry, you know, parties, sex, Something scary lurking just out of frame, you know, some cool practical effects. That sort of intersection in 80s horror films of like the weirdest possible group of people getting together where you're like, wait, what? These people would never hang out. And yet it's totally plausible in the world of the film. And they're all kind of archetypes and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. You've got the awesome goth chicks. Who, yes. Well, awesome goth chick and her rowdy, rowdy friend. Yes. Um, so rowdy. <laughs> so you have uh, Angela, who's the goth. And then you have, what is it, Suzanne? Suzanne. Suzanne, yeah. who's the rowdy one. And they're like, let's throw a party at this abandoned place called Hall House, which is funny. Like, Hall House has a whole, you know, slew yeah. of connotations and, like, is a real place and also is a haunted place and all this stuff. 
but they're like, let's have this party at Hull House, which is an abandoned funeral home out in the middle of nowhere, built in between an underground stream with a wall on top of it. Yeah. Like, this is fine. Everything's fine. And that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like out in the middle of nowhere. Like, Stooge, (laughs) he blows a tire and has to walk two miles to get the rest of the way. And they had to drive quite a way to get there. So it's like out in the middle of nowhere. And they're like, let's throw a party. And then they start doing like party games. They're like, it's spooky time. It's Halloween. We're having a Halloween party. Let's do like a spooky seance. And then chaos ensues. Yes. In the form of a demon that they somehow release by doing the mirror seance thing. Did the seance actually unleash the demon or was the demon just like kind of waiting for somebody to show up and was just like, hey, I'm free. And that was just the moment, you know, the moment of the seance was the moment in which it chose to emerge, but it was already kind of raring to go. That's totally fair. So it just so happens that the same night that they're partying, which is on Halloween. It's Halloween. So the the, veil is thin. The veil is thin. The, you know, the demons are ready, so they're there, and they do, we've talked about this before, you don't mess. No, you don't do it. You don't do it when you don't know what you're doing, and that's exactly what they did. They're like, let's all stare into a mirror and and think about what Angela would look like in a past life. It's like, no. Yeah. Don't mess with mirrors. Yeah. Cover your mirrors. It's Halloween. You don't know about this house. Like, just don't do it. Yeah. This is not a good idea. I wanted to bring up just briefly that the director, Kevin Tunney, he also did, which I don't know if anybody's seen this movie, Pinocchio's Revenge. Oh, I've seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, of course you've seen this movie. <laughs> um, he also did Witch Trap. Right. Not to be confused with Witchcraft, which and we he, talked about earlier. <laughs> and he also did Witch Board 2. Okay. Which okay. is a different strange... Com- yeah. or like a series of horror movies but just to kind of name out our cast of characters so judy we have our kind of main heroine final girl played by kathy podwell we have roger who's one of the friends he's like the good kid yeah dressed as a pirate he's played by alvin alexis then you have stooge played by hal havens he's an asshole basically mm-hmm. like he probably doesn't have any friends <laughs> Yeah. Just based off of the way that he's talking to them. Let's see. Sal, played by Billy Gallo. He's sort of like your greaser. Like, mm-hmm. he's not really anybody's friend, and he keeps going after Judy, but he ends up being at this party because Judy's little brother's like, she's going to a party with her boyfriend. Blah. That little brother character. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. And it doesn't even go anywhere, but it's like. Yeah. yeah. He also, like, talks about his sister's boobs, which I think is very strange. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to hire somebody to tie your shoes if they get any bigger. That's one of those things where it's like being somebody who grew up without siblings at all. I I, I see things like that in movies. I'm like, is that how siblings talk to each other? Not me. Okay, good. Not any interactions I've ever had with people who had siblings. Okay, good. Not to say that younger siblings don't say stupid stuff sometimes, which is totally true. But never about your boobs. Okay, good. It's weird. Yeah. And then you have Lance Fenton, who played Jay. Jay is Judy's date for the evening. Billy, played by Donnie Jeffcoat. You have Suzanne, played by the amazing Linnea Quigley. Yay. And then you have Angela, who is Suzanne's compatriot, a uh, goth girl extraordinaire, 
played by Amelia Kincaid, and then you have Franny, played by Jill Tereshita, and Max, played by Philip Tanzini. Kind of a big cast of characters Mm -hmm. for a movie like this, but they all kind of have their stories, and Judy and Roger and Jay are kind of our main characters, and then you have Suzanne and Angela. So yeah, they throw a party, and then they're like, let's do a past life seance, and they let this demon out. There's this amazing, like, Evil Dead 2 homage shot where the demon exits the crematorium and, like, kind of snakes through the house, and so you're, like, on a skateboard or something, like, going through this house. It's very Crypt Keeper-esque. That's what it reminds me of is, like, the opening to Tales from the Crypt from the 90s, but it's definitely an homage to Evil Dead. We love a Sam Raimi Oh, yeah. Homage shot. Absolutely. <laughs> it's tons of fun. All of the characters are pretty much archetypal. Yeah, definitely. You have, like, your jerk. You have a jock. You have your good kid. You have your good girl, your goth, your party girl, your greaser kid. You mm-hmm. know, you have all of the typical, the stereotypical characters that you would see in any 80s horror movie. I mean, it's basically the breakfast club, except they're having a seance inside of a haunted yeah, yeah, honestly, house. that's a really good comparison. They are kind of all archetypes. And um, again, they're kind of unlikely. It's unlikely that they would all be at a party together. And the movie does an okay job of sort of getting them all there in a way that's slightly unlikely, where it's like, oh, you know, why are you here? Why are you here? You know, you're not supposed to be here. You weren't invited, that kind of a thing. But it's very much archetypes. And in the case of a movie like this, it works, mm-hmm. you know. It's like we don't need, you know, in-depth character studies of all of these people no. to make this movie mean something or or be fun. Yeah, and I really don't think that we get much of a backstory on literally any of the characters, no. with the exception of Roger saying that his dad's a preacher. No. That's it. <laughs> Everybody else is just like, you get all of their motivations during the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. There's no like hidden agenda. They're very, like, upfront about what they want. Suzanne wants to party. Angela wants to scare people. Jay trying to get in Judy's pants. Like, (laughs) it's very obvious. I think Stooge, to a certain degree, also is trying to score with one of the girls there. Definitely. And Suzanne is, too. She was like, I hope that you remember to invite some cute boys. Mm -hmm. She definitely wants to party. And honestly, you could take this whole movie as just an excuse for us to see a bunch of chicks get naked or like half naked Mm -hmm. and it does that yeah it delivers on that it definitely does which is certainly a draw for movies in the 80s because the horror pipeline was still like there's definitely gonna be sex and nudity in it yeah especially (laughs) for like a mass market teen movie oh yeah and this one is very much that at the very beginning of the movie, there's a scene where Stooge moons an old man, and then Sal comes up out of nowhere. Sal is our greaser character. He comes up out of nowhere and scares the old man so bad that he drops all of his groceries, and he's like, all you kids are going Your to hell. kids! <laughs> and he's kind of like a harbinger. Mm-hmm. An unknowing harbinger, though. Yeah. Because he doesn't really know, like... That they're all going to end up together and then, you know, die for the most part. Like, 90% of them all die. But he doesn't know that. He's just like, you're all going to hell. (laughs) Because they're being mean to him and made him drop his celery. Yeah. (laughs) On the ground. (laughs) Also, though, like, get a grocery cart. Yeah. He's carrying so many groceries. I mean, this is sort of before the era of the um, 
you know, really only public broadcasting fans were using tote bags at that point <laughs> for their groceries. <laughs> Well, and that guy clearly did not support his local no, public radio station. No, he did not. <laughs> that guy voted for Reagan. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Another sort of tired trope that they fall into in this movie is the uh, Indian burial ground yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Of course, like, it started with Poltergeist. Poltergeist, obviously, the entire movie is predicated on the fact that there, this housing development is built knowingly on top of an Indian burial ground. And, of course, also, this is apocryphal because we're just getting this from the Max character. And he's like, no, I read lots of books. This was built on an Indian burial ground. But we also don't really know. Yeah. He could just be telling a story. But a lot of movies in the 80s did the Indian burial Mm -hmm. ground thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why? Why do we got to keep returning to this? I think it was like one of those weird things that, like white people do when they think they're being woke but actually they're just making even more of a mess where they're like trying to be like i am aware that there were people on this land before me and so they're dead or buried here so i'm gonna put that in a story because i am aware and it's like oh my god you are just making this worse yeah please just stop um, but that that's my read on why that was such a thing in the 80s is we were coming off of AIM, the American Indian movement, you mm, know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of activism, uh, kind of alongside or adjacent to the Black Panthers in terms of a more vocal, in-your-face way of saying, we are here, we are present, you know, we are, you know fighting for our rights and our culture, et cetera. So I think that was in the cultural zeitgeist coming out of the 70s, certainly. So there were probably a lot of uh, a lot of white folks writing stuff that were like, message heard. This is how I'm going to... Right. You know? And just keep talking about Indian burial grounds. Like, message heard. Indian burial ground. Like, guys, no, no. Please. And, you know, I say that understanding that Ohio is, by and large, like, a lot of actual mounds yes were yeah, paved yeah, over sure. to make like columbus mm-hmm. zanesville you know our former capital columbus our current capital a lot of mounds were plowed over to do that but in addition to the whole indian burial ground thing max then adds that it's about a brave who got yeah. lost and then killed his squaw and made a teepee out of her intestines it's like okay yeah all right we really yeah. we're, we're pushing it now yeah okay like, this is this is truly what we're doing in this moment. And also, it has little to nothing to do with the demon that ends up no. coming out. Like, we, yeah. have, I guess that could be the cause for it. But, like, did we have to appropriate a Native American, like, mm-hmm. indigenous story into this? Because it almost makes it worse. No, yeah. it definitely makes it worse. It makes it worse. It totally makes it worse. Yeah. But also, like, thank God it didn't have anything to do with the demon itself because like truly how many movies have you seen where they really just go full force on that and like the demon is some like terrible unresearched amalgamation of you know an indigenous person in like war pain and traditional you know and i'm using air quotes here traditional garb or jewelry or whatever and it's just like just the worst appropriative disaster so i'm glad they didn't do that at least you know i can't remember who it was 
but I recently watched a movie. This is like a 2B horror movie, so just keep that in mind. But it was an actor who is decidedly not Native American playing a Native American villain. Oh, yeah. Like a ghost. This was like recently that I saw this movie and I was like, I'm a Disney Lone Ranger. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Woof. (laughs) The the problematic cast all around now. (laughs) Jesus. That movie was cursed. I think so. Either the people who are part of it were cursed already or the movie itself in its portrayal of the Lone Ranger story cursed Army Hammer and Johnny Depp. Yeah, the universe was just like, look, guys, no. Army (laughs) Hammer's like, I'm definitely going to eat your face and Johnny Depp. I mean, nothing needs to be said about the Johnny Depp situation right now. But Army Hammer is, uh, he's an actual horror movie. Mm -hmm. Just all the way around. Mm -hmm. Apparently he's selling timeshares in, like, the Bahamas or the Cayman Islands right now. No, 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 no. He's, uh... He's fallen pretty far. He's cut off from the family fortune right now. So well, uh, yeah. I... <laughs> they they were like, we need to distance ourselves from our son who wants to eat people. Yeah, some people, not all people. I mean, <laughs> I think some. I, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> enough. Bad. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, I can't remember what the movie is. If I come across it, I'll send it to you. But yeah. it was seriously cringeworthy. It was like Steven Seagal level appropriation. Oh, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. It was that bad. And I was like, excuse me, what? Yeah. Every time I watch a new Steven Seagal movie, I'm just like, I am just completely blown away by how culturally insensitive Steven Seagal continues to be. Yes. I watched this horror movie that he was in. Once again, it was on Tubi. And he, it's like a vampire slash zombie apocalypse. And he plays like a katana wielding vampire slash zombie killer. It's got to be one of the top 10 worst movies I've ever seen. And I know that you know how bad <laughs> how that has bad to be. How bad movies you've seen. Yes. Because you've been there. I have. For most of them. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so the movie is called Against the Dark, Mm. and his name is Tao, and he's a katana master, and they have to kill all these vampires Mm post-apocalypse. So, yeah. Anyways, I don't know why I got off on the Steven Skull (laughs) thing, but I know why, but yeah. This is a special episode. This is a very special episode. Welcome to welcome to our episode, our Halloween episode, guys. <laughs> if you've made it this far, we're watching Night of the Demons. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, back to Night of the Demons. Let's talk about the score to the yeah, movie. Yeah. As soon as we started the movie, Juliet's like, "Yep, another another eighties horror movie with a great." opening theme song yes oh man yeah the score for this one is exactly what you want out of an 80s horror film especially an 80s horror film with demons you know um fits right in with all of the classics i feel like it makes little nods to the score for demons 
which was composed by Claudio Simonetti, mm-hmm. um, because you can definitely hear, although this was not composed by one of the big Italian uh, scorers who did, you know, all of the seminal horror film scores, you know, Fabio Frizzi, Claudio Simonetti, you know, all of the the folks in Goblin, etc. This definitely is a nod to that. And I wonder if it was intended to be a nod to the theme for Demons. Yeah. Um, because that score is so iconic. It's like a rhythmic. It doesn't necessarily have a beat most of the time, but you also have like high keyboard Mm -hmm. (laughs) sounds and that's happening a lot during the course of the movie too because outside of just one song the rest of it is all done by the person who did wrote the soundtrack and performed most of the soundtrack and his name's dennis michael tenney and he basically he did everything except for just the one the one song which we'll talk about that iconic scene here in a little bit but can't watch an 80s horror movie without having a great soundtrack with ambient music happening all throughout yeah it's interesting because we watched a couple of like late 90s early 2000s horror movies which are all soundtrack driven and less with the exception of scream the first scream Mm -hmm. definitely Mm -hmm. has a good mix of soundtrack and also like theming but when you look at like a 80s horror movie it's all about composition yeah you didn't have in the 90s as many It was sort of a changing of the guard in terms of horror film scoring. Like, you know, you had sort of your seminal scores. Well, even even in non-horror films, there was certainly a moment of changing of the guard in the 90s. You know, you had like your, um, you know, John Williams is eternal, but you had some of your older scores who are only doing select films and some of your newer scores who are like the people we know and love now, some of whom are not even with us anymore. I'm thinking of like Howard Shore very specifically. They were sort of making their mark in the 90s. But in terms of horror, like we didn't have in the 90s a lot of like seminal score movements starting off at Mm -hmm. least. Um, You know, I just referred to the Italian scores in the 70s and 80s that influenced so much. Coming into the 90s, it's like there was still some of that. There was obviously John Carpenter, Mm -hmm. um, whose work is very well known. And then of the newer generation, the biggest name that sticks out to me starting off was Graham Ravel. Mm -hmm. And then you saw some new people emerging at the end of the 90s who are still working now. But yeah, it's... 90s is way more soundtrack driven for the most part. Um, and even into the early 2000s, as opposed to the 80s, we were still very, very score driven. It's interesting because even now, like, I mean, they're still releasing, I think Suspiria just got like a vinyl release, like a special vinyl release. I think it could be original Suspiria or the original Suspiria. Yeah, Waxworks does a lot of those reissues. Yeah, so, like, we're still getting those, you know, coming out. Soundtracks, not really so much, like, because you can just go on Spotify, you know? Yeah, soundtracks are different now, because you don't have as many songs being composed specifically for soundtracks. Right. Like, I can remember, I have a lot of soundtracks from the 90s and 2000s, where it was like, that was the only place you could get certain songs. Right, right. It's like, on the soundtrack. Or, like, versions of that song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Now that's not so much the case. Like they're using existing singles a Mm -hmm. lot of times. So it's like you're already listening to that single on Spotify or you're just going to find it as a single as opposed to an album. A lot of the scores are not getting CD releases. They're getting downloads and then like Mm. the limited edition vinyl. That makes sense. Yeah. Because how long has it been since you watched a movie that was new that had not a Marvel movie, not a superhero movie, Uh but a horror movie that had its own intro or theme song during the opening credits or outro slash ending credits? Oh, I mean, a lot of them do. I would say a lot because we have a, I have a lot of horror scores. So. Oh, I mean, I guess like Scream, like the, the Scream 2022 yeah. had its own. Yeah. I was just thinking of like Dream Warrior. Oh. Like, titular, oh, oh, oh. you know, less ambient, more like we're going to make a rock song. Oh, with the name of- I can name one. Although I didn't see it. Uh, my partner did. Retaliators did. Oh, I didn't see Retaliators. Yeah, we, we didn't see that one. That was one that I think a couple people saw and we didn't see. Okay. It has a song that has the title of the movie and the song. <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen Retaliators, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. I have not. My partner has. But it has a song. Yes. Did Psycho Gorman have one? Oh, you know what? I think it You're did. Right. I bet so. That would be the movie to have... <laughs> This song is not called Psycho Gorman. There's mm-hmm. a song called Many Moons, and I'm pretty sure that was it. So segue into where I was going with the music thing is there is an absolutely iconic moment, sort of like right smack dab center in, of the movie. After Suzanne has, basically she's putting on her makeup, her lipstick, and she like her mouth is open really wide, and the demon possesses her. And then she makes out with Angela and passes the demon possession along to Angela. Well, everybody leaves and goes to different parts Mm -hmm. of the house. And Angela and Sal are the only ones that are left in this, like, big, gigantic foyer-type room. And the stereo starts working again. The boombox starts working again. And Bauhaus starts playing. And (laughs) Angela starts this very iconic dance scene the actress choreographed the entire thing herself she did it all herself which is awesome yet another great horror movie moment brought to you by Bauhaus as a band I mean naturally of course <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even Bella Lugosi's dead because nine times out of ten if you hear Bauhaus and like oh yeah a movie or a tv show it's gonna be Bella Lugosi's dead absolutely but in this one it's Stigmata Martyr which is Another amazing song by them. Totally. In another movie that we talked about with the Ghoul Friends podcast, mm-hmm. they were featured in The Hunger. That was actually their very first like TV slash movie feature, which is pretty awesome. And it's funny because Bauhaus was a band that was extremely popular in the 80s, but we use them way more in movies and television now yeah. than they ever were in yeah. the 80s. They were featured in The Butterfly Effect, which this is just mind-boggling to me. One Tree Hill. Oh, that's random. Smallville. I forgot One Tree Hill existed until you said One Tree Hill. (laughs) I never really watched it myself. Yeah, I didn't either. It, like, didn't interest me. That was when I was watching Buffy and Angel still. (laughs) And they were in The Collector. They used a song in Supernatural, which... That, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> True Blood, which also tracks. Yeah. 
American Horror Story. Once again, that totally tracks. But yeah, just got to come out here and appreciate the amazing horror movie experiences that we've gotten from scenes that feature Bauhaus. Yeah. And this was only the second time. So Night of the Demons was number two. So it was The Hunger and The Night of the Demons. Yeah. That's a good lineage right there. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And also just wanted to come out here to say to Goth Girls Throw the Best Parties. They do throw the best parties. And they definitely have the best soundtracks. Mm -hmm. I I definitely, like, Angela was the one who brought the Bauhaus. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Because Suzanne, she doesn't know anything about music. No. All she wants to do is party. She just wants to party. I think she knows what she likes to dance to, but I don't think she likes Bauhaus. Yeah, no, I don't. I I agree with you on that. And I think nobody else knows anything about Bauhaus. No, it didn't seem like it. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Angela and Suzanne, that kiss, do you think Angela is coded queer at all? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah, cause, because like on the one hand, you could take her response to the kiss as you know, oh my God, there's a demon now lurking in me. But I don't know. Her response was just kind of particular to me where it was like, oh, hey, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There, there was something there. Definitely. And the contrast between her, like, lack of overt sexuality. Yes. Until after the kiss. Yes. And you could put that off to being, like, she is possessed by a demon, so she's going to be doing some crazy stuff. Yeah. But also... Her lack of sexuality in contrast to Suzanne's overt sexuality until the kiss happens. Otherwise, Suzanne doesn't really change. Right. Prior to her being possessed by the demon, she's really horny. She definitely wants to hook up with somebody. um, Post-demon possession, she's still really horny and she's going to hook up with Jay, who she was already trying to hook up with prior to being possessed. She specifically starts dancing up on Jay and you know, is able to get him to come away from Judy. But Angela is not like that. Right. She's spooky and scary beforehand and after, but she becomes more sexual. Yeah. The dance is definitely sort of a, like, going from a sort of stodgy, like, dead bride, you know, zombie Mm -hmm. bride, Mm -hmm. to the more, like, sexual, you know, embracing sexuality type thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think... I read that there was supposed to be a gay relationship in yeah. the movie. I think there was supposed to be both a gay relationship and maybe an interracial relationship. There was at least supposed to be an interracial mm-hmm. kiss. And I, I okay. think between like Roger and Judy towards the end when they're like embracing. That would have made sense. Like yeah. we only have to stay alive until morning or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think. Don't quote me on that. I have no idea. But. I'm pretty sure that's what I read was that there was supposed to be a gay couple and then there was supposed to be an interracial kiss, but that was too much. And I was like, oh, so Linnea Quigley, Suzanne gouging Jay's eyes out while she's having sex with him. Not too much. Right. Right. Interracial kiss, too much. Yep. Yeah. You know what else is funny? This movie also debuted in Detroit, just like Evil Dead did. Oh. Okay. I'm totally switching gears, but we'll come back because mm-hmm. I need to say this before I forget. <laughs> Apparently, this movie did so well in Detroit that if it had opened nationwide and done as well in like nationwide theaters, this would have been the highest grossing movie of the 80s, uh, highest grossing horror wow. movie of the 80s. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, which 
is hilarious because it was a budget of one and a half million and it grossed just in Detroit 3.1 million. Wow. So pretty amazing opening. Yeah. But I also think Detroit was like kind of a hotbed of mm-hmm. like horror releases at that point because they were like, well, Evil Dead 2 just came out. So we got to watch anything that debuts here. Yeah. At the theater that we saw in It Follows. So it's all coming back around. Yeah. Circle. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So. The other sort of strange thing that I noticed about sexuality in this is there's a scene where Suzanne is, like, sitting in the bathroom, and she, you know, she draws her heart on her face. Mm -hmm. And then there's this also very iconic scene where she is drawing a spiral around her breast with lipstick, and then she feeds the, like, her boob the lipstick. Yeah, yeah. Her nipple eats it. It's gross, it's mm-hmm. it's a very uncomfortable scene. Yeah. It looks really, really good. The special effects artist did an amazing job. But I also wondered if it was sort of a toxic sexuality situation. Mm. And I could be totally reading too far into this, but eating the lipstick and just the fact that it's her breast, it could have been anything. It could have been like her belly button, you know? But it's specifically her breast, and she's already, like, really hypersexualized in the movie. Mm-hmm. And she's already, like, she gets Stooge to follow her to the bathroom. She gets Jay to follow her to the bathroom. So I just wonder if there's, like, something, there's something there. Oh, I definitely think there is, because, I mean, the moment we meet Suzanne, the first shot of Suzanne is from behind, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, is her, you know, bending over with her skirt lifted up in the convenience store to purposely distract the employees. And on the one hand, she's using her sexuality as a tool, but on the other hand, like even her costume really speaks to the sort of fetishization. Oh my God, I cannot say that word. Too many consonants. Yeah, (laughs) the sort of fetishizing of young women, especially because she's dressed up almost like a baby doll. Yeah, I don't even know what her costume is. Yeah, it's like she's in like you know, pink and ruffles and a bow and, you know, these cute shoes with the ruffle socks. And yet she's totally being sexualized. Gross. And it's gross. I feel like, and, you know, again, this is a 2022 lens, but I feel like that was very purposeful. That it wasn't just like, oh, hey, like, Linnea Quigley is going to look really hot in this. You know, I think that that was a little bit of a button pushing there of like, you know, here is this teenager, you know, air quotes teenager, because Linnea Quigley was like 30, I think, when she was in this. You know, here is this grown woman, essentially, dressed like a little girl, and she's being sexualized and using that sexualization to her advantage at certain points. And the demon is also zeroing in on that when she's possessed. So I think there's something there for sure. Yeah, because the demon could have gotten into, like, it's not just because Suzanne had her mouth open. Right. That the demon went right. to her. To sort of counter that, the opposite thing that I saw in this, and I've never really paid this close of attention to the movie, but there's a scene where Judy and Jay are making out, mm-hmm. which, like, why anybody would want to make out in this house. Like, right, yeah. It's covered in spider webs. Yeah. It's really gross. Yeah. But they're making out, and Jay starts to, like, you know, progress towards the next level. And Judy's like, um, no, I don't think so. And he's like, I know you've already done stuff with Sal. Like, mm-hmm. half the school knows that you've already done stuff with Sal. 
whether or not Sal's lied about this, we assume that he either he's lied about it or somebody else has made like a whole rumor about it. But in either case, Judy is not comfortable with progressing to the next mm-hmm. level. And Jay kind of like pushes the issue in a very, very common and and I can say this because like I've experienced the yeah, same thing myself. Absolutely. A very common thing was like, Oh, well, you were doing it first, so like let's just keep going and, and we'll stop, we'll stop. Yeah. And Judy very plainly says, like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going all the Mm -hmm. way with you. Is this the only reason that you went out with me? And he's like, well, come on. You know, he just keeps doing that, like, whole, you know, not really being pushy, but also, like, trying to make you feel guilty. Yeah. And she says no. And I'm really surprised by that because there are a lot of instances in 80s horror movies specifically where she would have just rolled over and, like, went with it. Yeah. Not to say that that's unrealistic because i know of course that's that's a common experience to just be like okay well it's easier to just say yes than it is to Mm -hmm. like stand my ground and say no but it's very common in 80s horror to see like a girl say i don't know and then a guy to be like no it's okay and then them to go ahead and do it so for judy to be like no i don't want to like Mm -hmm. we can make out but that's it and you know jay runs off because he's pissed of course. And Judy tries to, like, run after him, but she gets trapped in this room. It was just sort of an interesting interaction between the two of them and also sort of another, like, cautionary tale about sexuality. Yeah. Where, like, Jay's downfall is he immediately goes to find Suzanne and have sex with her and ends up getting his eyes gouged out. Yeah. But Judy, like, very specifically abstains she doesn't have a sexual relationship with Roger later on. It's completely platonic. Obviously, she has no more relationship with Jay. So I have to wonder if that's like sort of that purity complex. But the one thing that makes me think that it's not about the purity complex is that Judy says, tells Jay that whether or not she had sex with Sal is not his business. Yes, which I loved. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, I love that in a very small way, a movie from 1988 could sort of poke at the virginity myth a little bit you know the fact that jay was trying to use virginity as you know a tool like well you're you're not a virgin because you slept with sal therefore you should just sleep with me yeah and judy's like look it doesn't matter and it's not your business and that's not related to the matter at hand of whether or not i sleep with you yeah so that i thought was really interesting and and progressive but it's one of those like if you blink you're gonna miss it yeah moments because everybody else in the movie like stooge tries to have sex Mm -hmm. with suzanne amelia puts the moves on sal this is post possession Mm -hmm. um max and his girlfriend have sex in the coffin they both die they both get possessed so although not as overt as like your friday the 13th or you know other slasher slash horror movies of the late 70s and early 80s there is a little bit of that like sexuality is bad and yeah if you're a teenager and you have sex you're gonna get possessed because <laughs> roger also right the only right. other person uncoupled also the only other person who makes it to the end yep and he's like a preacher's son yeah and he can pray real good mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. although he does not he does not actually manage to get a prayer out but speaking of Judy, I also don't think it's any coincidence that she's wearing an Alice in Wonderland costume. Oh, I think that's a, uh, yeah. 
if I could remember anything about the Alice in Wonderland myth, I'm sure there are parallels between this and Alice in Wonderland. Well, mirrors. Mirrors. Mirrors, definitely. Yeah, I guess Alice, like, can't escape or has a hard time escaping for a while. If I had brushed up at all on my Alice in Wonderland. There's nothing necessarily triggered by eating or drinking in this movie. So that's not a parallel, but I think I think the mirror thing for sure would be Alice in Wonderland. Hmm. Yeah, I know. Now I want to like watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> so next time we are going to do a movie that we've been talking about doing for a little while, and uh, I think we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna dive in and see what happens. This is another one where maybe I'm being presumptive here. I don't want to be presumptive, but <laughs> we are probably not going to love this one. Yeah, we but didn't like it the first time. No, neither. We've both seen it, but neither of us liked it the first time. But we're going to give it a second chance because also, although we didn't like it, I have seen a lot, a lot of writing about this one. Mm-hmm. So I do want to kind of watch it with a critical lens. And and I also want to watch it. I think there are actually some parallels To a movie that was shot here in our community many years ago, I think there are some direct parallels there. So I want to explore that a little bit. Oh, dang. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. You'll have to fill me in later. Uh, Yeah. This this is primarily my own theory, but I think I'm (laughs) onto something. So we can can poke at this one a little bit. So we're going to be talking about Mandy. Is this our first Nick Cage movie? Yeah, because we haven't done Vampire's Kiss. Yeah. Or uh, Willy's Wonderland. Yeah. And to be honest, for all of his ridiculousness, I actually love Nick Cage. Yeah, same. same. Um, I especially in the past couple of years, I have really like he's done this um, that movie Pig, which got a lot mm-hmm. of critical acclaim. Willie's Wonderland, which is ridiculous and, yeah. and funny. He did the unbearable weight of massive talent, which yes. I thought was hilarious. Oh, that was a delight. Yeah. And so I really like Nick Cage, and. I was looking forward to this one because I do love atmospheric horror. Yeah. I love horror that has a great soundtrack. And I know that this one does. I did watch it, but I was not bought in. But you know what? I have had my mind changed upon second watch. Exactly. And like Juliet said, there's a ton of writing on it. So I want to go in, read some of that, both like pro and con, you know, writing for this movie and watch it critically and actually force myself to pay attention. Yes. Because the last time I just turned the channel, I think. Yeah, I think I got a little restless and started walking away from yeah. the TV. So we're going to we're gonna force ourselves. This might have to be like a, uh, we, we get some coffee, we yeah. do a thing, <laughs> oh, create man. the atmosphere we want. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And Richard Brake. Who, yeah, who sure. he was mostly like a small actor, but lately he's been getting a lot bigger roles. Mm-hmm. And we love him. Yeah. He's at all the horror conventions. He's very kind. So yeah, I'm gonna watch it again. I yes, will get I will give it a fair it. shake fair yeah. shake. <laughs> yes. So that'll be next time. And in the meantime, happy Halloween. Yay. Hopefully you didn't get sick on sugar tree candy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. We are Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok and Final Girls Pod on Twitter. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliette. 
And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.